If ads give you a pain in the nads or the nadettes, join us now on our new subscription model on Apple. It's all ad free. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. To understand the economy, you have to understand human nature. This podcast is powered by Acast. Dave Galair, how are you doing there? We are in Inishma. Seanine Mokdavish You! Agus Misha Dahi Mokliam Agus Bimei kind Berlikus That little bit of Which is kind of Half Irish Half English Tushka Willamid On Son in Son Gael Inish Man We are here In a very very special island If you don't know it It is the middle island Of the Aran Islands It is You can get there From Connemara And Ardulin In County Clare It's an extraordinary place it Is the island That the Gaelic Leaguers came about 120 years ago when they were trying to resuscitate Irish. They said, where is the most fluent Irish spoken? Where is the depth of culture? And they decided that Inishman was the place just up the road from where we're recording now is a little cottage called Singh's Cottage where J.M. Singh, of course, you probably know him as the fellow who caused a riot in the Abbey Theatre. That's right, yes. And the riot was yeah. over the Playboy of the Western world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the Playboy, do you remember all that stuff? Yeah, I do, yeah, I remember that story. The Playboy of the Western world was based on the people of Inishman. Now, if you ever come down here, you go past Singh's Cottage, you go out and walk down to the cliffs here, and you walk to the very far south end of the island. It is Phenomenal, really. I mean, John, you're a big walker. You yes. love all this stuff. Yeah, it's brilliant. And it's the same. We talked about the the other day. It's the same stone as the burn. So it's limestone. So it's full of all sorts of flora, fauna, and all sorts of yeah. stuff. But just Absolutely gorgeous. Do you know what I was thinking today when I was walking there before we were doing this? You know, we were talking about wind and wave power. Yes, you can see it. I mean, absolutely. <laughs> if the future is going to be wind and wave, the future is in a shaman. Yeah. I'm telling you, right? <laughs> it is full of and the waves crash in. You'll see the 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 surfers in Doolan, right? And you'll see the surfers in County Clare, and you'll see the surfers in Lahinch. But if you look at it out here, the yeah. waves are enormous. They're enormous, yeah. right? And they smash into the cliffs and. You get this sense when you're here that you really are at the edge of the Western world and there's nothing else. You look out there and beyond you is Inishmore and beyond that... Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> and then Nothing and then Boston. We're here now and this is a big, big weekend on on Illine, Tushka Will, 
na the slua egri on de km on de kilometer yeah. ironman nishman ironman and it's all to raise money for a very special school here called Kalosh de Navon Kalosh Navon is a secondary boarding school where i think it's 40 or 50 kids can come not from the island to actually go to a boarding school Lawn Gaelic to actually do their entire secondary school in Irish. Brilliant. And it's here. That'd be amazing. So it's a fantastic place. It's it's a vicious tank because a lot of it's up you, a lot of hills. Absolutely. Did you hear the guy actually he described the route perfectly? I, I actually on. have audio. Do you have the audio? Here go you on. go. Today, uh, because it's in a shman, um, it's all uphill. And uh, that's just it. Uh, it's all up and you never come down. The 10K, you go up a hill, you go up another hill, up another hill, and then you have Heart Attack Hill, which is uh, uh, referred to locally. I don't know what the Irish word is, but that's it in English, Heart Attack Hill. So we have a nurse here on standby if anyone needs any help. Uh, hopefully now they won't. <laughs> and then you're home. And then you're home if you make it. Heart attack kill. Heart attack kill. That one's for, right. for no, you, Mike. I know. Cree Brishta. Canuck Cree Brishta. Okay. Now, the pub down there, and the Neil Aunok, Choco Stone and Wand. There's only one pub. One pub. And the proprietor is a man called Porrick. And I am now on very good terms. I see you are, Mac. I'd say I've just arrived, you see. I'm just fresh off the boat. Yeah, I was here last night. Yeah. So there was fiddle playing, there was squeeze walk playing, there was accordion playing, there was harp playing, it was... It was uh, a. Do you know what I? I uh, was talking to a young fella earlier. Oh no! And uh, he was in the pub last night, apparently. And he looks at me because I was walking around with my headphones and the, my recorder and stuff. And he says to me, "Are you from RTE?" And I went, "No, no, I'm here recording a podcast." Oh, really? What podcast is that? The Dave McWilliams podcast. And he kind of stops and does a double take, and he says, "I oh, used the fella who was down the pub last night." We all thought he was the lad from Harry Potter. <laughs> Are you serious? Ron Weasley. Ron Weasley. I have been called many things, but the Ron Weasley of economics. That's a first. That's a first. Now, so we're, we're down here. We're down for the week. And the aim of today's podcast is not just to talk about Inishman, and it's a very special place and lovely, amazing people. On a car duel, on a simul, all that stuff. But it's actually to talk about how small communities and small businesses can, with vision, with resilience, and with a sense of themselves, create fantastic businesses, even in these most remote places, right? Mm. The whole idea is that if the Irish, if the whole West Coast of Ireland, not just Inishman, the whole West Coast, for years and years and years, economics has always said, well, if you are on the periphery, you're at a disadvantage. But now with changes in technology, do you remember what we said about the pandemic, right? When you get you get real change, when two things happen, John. One, you get technological change, but you also get social change, right? Yeah. The technological change has been Zoom and connectivity and the internet and all that. The social change since the pandemic has been that everyone now has the permission to say, you know what? I work from home. Mm. I work remotely. And here we are in the most remote place. This puts the, the remote into remote. <laughs> so let's go and talk to three people who live down in the Gaeltag, who are Egg on Tianga, Noshunta, Gokla, and they don't see remoteness anymore as being a problem. 
And this is a lesson not just for Ireland. If you're listening to the podcast in Canada, in America, in the UK, on the continent, anywhere, it's still the same message that what used to be remote is now central. And what used to be the central case is kind of redundant. You don't have to live in the city and work in the city. So this is, you may think we're going right down the rabbit hole on a cunning, I was going to say hole, (laughs) but we're not. This is applicable to everybody. It's a microcosm of the world. It's Inish man. And and by the way, there'll be Bugan in Gaelic. There'll be a little bit of Irish in this. But for those of us who studied Irish, you see, I'm always amazed, John. I think that Ta'along Gaelic Aguinga, right? And it's, it's just culture. That's it's just the, in our heads. It's, it's, well, it's in your head because you, your mum was a national school teacher. Well, that's true, of course. And of course, she was fluent in Irish. Yeah. Uh, my mum is straight out of Centre City, Dublin. She is actually saying? Carmel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So no bleeding Gaelic, a key. That's true. Okay, so so Gumalashkale, right? That basically, I was brought up in a family where Irish was there. It was in yeah. the. It was. It was. It wasn't the Changa of the of the Chach, but it was there, and we could understand it. But anyway, what I'm saying to us, all of us have a little bit of the language, and there'll be quite a bit of Irish in the next little bit. Bear with us, those of you who've never heard it before. It it's is lovely. It's absolutely lovely. beautiful. It is Gohalin. It is Eros. So let's go and talk to a couple of locals. We are sitting in a woodwork class. The woodwork class is part of this extraordinary school down here in Inishman. And I'm joined by Maraidni Farta, who is just basically the boss of the place. She runs the place, the school, and I've known her for a long, long time. And we've had, a, we've just done our bit, which is signaled the start of the Inishman 10K. So, Maraid, you're very welcome to the Woodwork class. And I've also joined by Loretta Nigaon, who is the chief executive and founder of Lurug Media. And I'm also joined by Kuan O'Sheridan, who is the banister of Inishman development. So, Kuan, I want to ask you, in your role, look, what do you see the future of economics here? What's, what's your sense? It's in seeing the advantage in what others might see as the disadvantage, avoiding the race to the bottom. I spent a long time living in Germany. I studied music there. And one of the things I noticed most about living in Germany was the role of the Mittelstand in the German economy is the backbone of the place. Mittelstand companies are often family-run, small to medium-sized enterprises that produce high-quality niche items that have no real competition. And Knitzel Inishmian is very like that. That's a company that started off in this remote place, basically at the beginning, ferrying hand-knit jumpers out to the twice-weekly shipping boat. And now with twice uh, a day shipping, and three times a day flights. They can ship all over the world with high quality internet they can sell online and they can even do live presentations. So one, the, the key is to show the unique advantages of the stories of a place, a connection to some kind of sense of authenticity and seeking the profit in the high value created by that. That means then also you create high value employment and you have a much more prosperous and well-off and more content society. And tell me now, Mairead, I mean, what I've always been amazed when I come here is actually just how hard it is to live on an island. I mean, it's not easy. And I don't think people get that. No, they don't. And and it is not. And there are days when I, I suppose, say to myself, my God, what am I doing here? This is really hard. And I arrive in Rossville and it could be a very 
wintry night and I have to face the boat journey. But there is something very unique about being an islander. And I think I understood very early on in life that it fascinates people, it intrigues. And wherever you go, it's a conversation starter, I suppose, if nothing else. You know, you start telling them about the island. The huge thing for us is connectivity. And while logistically we are remote, but periphery is man-made. So I think the important thing about living on an island right now for me is to have the services that are required to connect us, be that high-speed broadband, transport. They're the things. And once you have that, we're quite resourceful. We're resilient because we're islanders and we've managed to live here. Everything else falls into place and you do find a niche, just as Kuhn said, you will find a market and a way of living. Yeah, no, I mean, I mean, it's, it seems to me like you know the, 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 there's this whole kind of story of the decline and etc. But when you when you're here, the opposite seems the case. We've 400 people running. There's a huge like, the stuff going on all the there's time. There's actually 517. Oh, now, 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 come on, Ashley. Go 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 on, it's changed a lot. It's I suppose we started with TG Cahad, the Irish language TV station, and building up their social media. We absolutely love being here on Inishmeon. Murray came to us very early on in our, our startup company and said, Loretta, can you do something to bring awareness to this island? And I suppose that's our USP. We feel like I had mentors over the years going, but the Gaeilgeal, that's not a big enough. You're not going to make any yeah, because growth. Yeah, yeah. It's so tiny. Yeah. But what we find is like having that unique selling pointer is something that differentiates you in the market, makes you different. That the Gaeilge just brings us on to being, say, in the middle of Mullingar now in August, where we've half a million people for Flachill and the Heron, and we will broadcast all over the world there, Facebook Lives. We had an Instagram Live outside GTEC here in Onnitfobl, um, Ed Inishmiani Slucha. For the first time, we were able to broadcast live. We haven't been able to until this year, and it was amazing to be able to do that. So we're a social media marketing company that literally bring Irish culture one digital footstep at a time to the world. So listen, like, what do you see the the future here, right? It, because, I mean, I mean, Ray, you've loads of kids going through the school now. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, and, and that's that's only the last 20 years. Like prior to that, there was no secondary school here. So that's even a huge change in itself. Absolutely. And I suppose the absence of a school made the island a less attractive place to live. So now there is a thriving secondary school. You get to retain that link longer. I mean, when you left school or the island at the age of 12, you were breaking that link and you were only returning for holidays from a very early age. But now that link, you get to nurture and grow it. And I think a school youth it is the pulse yeah. of, of every community. You know, in traditional economics, right, you always learn that if a place is remote, it is profoundly disadvantaged. And the only place an economy can grow and a society can flourish is whether you're in Fifth Avenue or Grafton Street or whatever it happens to be, the centre of London. But are we moving now with technology into a world where maybe remoteness is an advantage? Well, I think that is an advantage. And if you, it parallels developments over 100 years ago, Nervi Afioch and Magoelga, Egtosnu, Agus Honnik Dini and Shogo Hinishman, Hun, Goelga and Hacha Olam, Agus Tachach and Shogo. People like Singh and all those Exactly. And they call that house Ulskoil and Magoelga. They were looking for something really? in that the house University they couldn't find the anywhere else. Okay. And uh, loads of Yates stayed there, Singh stayed there, Douglas Hyde stayed there. 
And they were looking for a sense of authenticity, connectivity with place and with history, trying to reconnect, trying to heal, in a sense, a historic wound that uh, nobody else was looking for at that time. They found answers there that eventually energised Irish culture and indirectly contributed to Irish independence. And today, if you think about a place like Inishmian, Ilan, Ilarn, Atlanti, they had to create their own infrastructure by literally dragging seaweed up from the cladach, dragging sand up from the cladach, creating soil, and only then could they begin to grow their crops and make a living. Today, we have to also create the infrastructure, the virtual infrastructure, the virtual connectivity, high quality internet, and also good quality physical connectivity, uh, shipping and air uh, connectivity, and you let the people then do the thing. plant their own seeds, do their own thing. Right? Yeah. It's though we will fear Havachdach go mean Nahilan Kangli. Connectivity is key, and once people can avail of services, Feyharisha and Shania, you can record here now and uh, broadcast from Inishmian. In the, in the woodwork in the woodwork. In the woodwork room. Yeah. So, you know, you, anything is possible now. Remoteness is really can be an advantage in many ways because you can es- probably escape to Eilu all in shot at Nanagalchis Kangana, Trace, you know, if a Bader a Crinu no after a very difficult meeting or something, that's it. You can leave that, close the laptop, August she's Kaji Kyangana. So Kyangana is the beach, by the way, yes, down the road. It's, okay. it's, it's, it's probably it's an attractive ideal yeah. for many people. Absolutely. And Loretta? I guess like to on connectivity on new Thomas Kangley and this Mariel Gwilmudja a chicht bio and Shahinov on Shumra Shunerachta and Shumra Ahmed and Sharinish Mian Agus Tabancha Gele Fenulacht new identity uh on Fuckle Gregish and Fainulacht, I guess. Fainulacht is identity. Yeah. Um, okay, Johnny Boy, put that down. Fainulacht. I guess Hagen Sherash, Gudji and Rodshin, Fui on Hoyle Gefreshen. Fainulacht, identity, Kaleshu, who's are you, who do you belong to? And Hagen Sher, Homsa, Arashko, Motomujanan, Branu Sheer, to look back and look at that's actually where we came from. On on Kruchas, I guess, on on Sielavi Kuhn, the continent, and that hardship that we endured is still within us. But we're able to enjoy life a lot better now, today, than on Hluna Huarun, the the people that went before us. And it's brilliant, I think, that we, we know all that, we can feel all that, but now be us present now in today's interconnected digital world and, and stay where we are. Agus on chéad clúnele chonyolanse. Shodan rada tátawachtach. Gómuid agir na díni a chonyolanse. On agus muinte na háite gwil on um, that they have that memory within them. We want to keep them here so they can tell the people that come to visit who they are, who they are. and how special this is. And connectivity is here now, and that's why we can do it. Loretta Mairead Cúin. So there you heard, I think, like almost like a call to arms for people who basically said, we don't have to live in the city to do our thing, you know? And it's great to get what they they call call in Irish, Ryaka Difrul, different views of what is possible, you know? And I think that what is possible is the fact that with technology, you know, I was thinking about this place with the wind and wave across the island, right? Yeah. And technological connectivity, what the three of them were saying is absolutely essential. What Mairead, what Loretta, what Kuan said is that people will be able to live out here. Mm. They'll be able to power themselves. We won't be, yeah. right? Think about it, right? 
And with connectivity, they can create products, they can create the environment. Like, it's you amazing. Do absolutely anything. When you go down to the school, John, when you go into the school, right, they have big screens and they have physics lectures, which yeah. are zoomed in remotely for the kids because they can't afford to employ a physics teacher or a chemistry oh, teacher. Oh, right. Okay, but, yeah. But the islands of Tory, Inishboffin, Arran up in Donegal, yeah. the Arran Islands, all the way down south, all the kids are all connected. In this right. Irish did, language. Yeah, I, it's an amazing thing. Irish language, physics teachers, chemistry teachers, yeah. you know, biology teachers, because obviously they can't afford to bring them all in. Yeah, so course, technology yeah. is also creating a sort of an autonomy and independence amongst the kids as well. Yeah. Because if you think like someone like Mairead had to go to school, there wasn't a secondary school here until 2004. So wow. all the kids here had to go to secondary school in Galway and come back. Now they don't have to leave. Over and back on the on the boat. Oh, they went to boarding schools. They went oh, to the last the boarding schools yeah. because they, they never came, they didn't go over and back. They went for months on end. And of course, then the place was denuded of kids, which changed the whole environment. Now you have kids because of technology. And again, as I say, this is the same for rural France, for rural Germany, for anywhere which is remote. Technology is changing their world. And now let's just park that and go and talk to somebody who has taken the island culture of the island, the deep, deep, deep resonant culture of what was here over hundreds of years and turn that into not just a small company, but an increasingly large company, right? We've always been champions, you and I, of small businesses, mm. people going, doing their thing. Yep. This whole idea of Schumpeter coming and disrupting, right? We're now going to talk to a proper, a real disruptor. Uh, Neil Adna Gummer er on Fuckle Disruptor Osquelega. I have no idea what the word disruptor is, Osquelega. Yeah, yeah, I can't help you there you either. <laughs> but if you do know it, please text it in on the er, er, Etherline on the internet. Okay. Er Twitter, Lumsa, Thahi Mok Liam. Anyway, let us go and talk to a fantastic individual who set up a most amazing company here on the island called Inishman Nits. His name is Tarlak the Blocken, and we're going to go and talk to Tarlak right now. John and I are now standing in an extraordinary place, which is the factory of Inishman Knits here in the centre of Inishman. It's fantastic, and isn't it? We are surrounded by, you know, visual history of this place and unbelievably authentic fabrics, knits, designs, woolens from this neck of the woods. And the man behind it all, Tarek the Brockham is with us. Tarek, how are you? Great, thanks. Good to be with you, David. Tarek, now tell me, just give me the story of Inishman Knits, because what we're doing in the podcast, we're trying to talk about remote working. And in a way, you personally have put, you know, the remote into the phrase remote working. Tell me about the story of the place. <laughs> I suppose it's got to start with me and Anya, my wife. We, uh, I was a graduate of Celtic Languages and Trinity. My professor sent me down here to learn Irish in the late 60s. And I just loved the place. As a kid, we, we had uncles in Clare and I loved to be in Clare working on the farm with them. And I knew once I graduated, I was always going to live and work in the west of Ireland. And when I met Anya, I knew her brother before her. She was teaching in Skullurkan in Dublin. And I said, Anya, let's move back to your place. I, you know, when you do a degree like I did, you're kind of groomed to be an academic. You know, it's, it's all about 
continuing the academia. And I was doing, did a year of place names, research on place names. But, you know, it wasn't for me. I wanted to be out there active doing something. And I just love this place. Uh, and uh, I love the people. What I love is the independence and that can-do attitude, that resourcefulness that locals had was really the backbone for this little industry. Uh, still have women working for me who started working for me 40 years ago. And they learned their trade at the mother's knee and <laughs> working in the house, making knitwear for small cottage industry. They were selling uh, to retail stores or Irish ethnic stores and tourist shops around the West. And one of the things when we moved here, I have to explain the place before. Well, first of all, I mean, it yeah. was, its remoteness point, yeah, what, was special. Yeah, what was different. it like in the late 60s, early 70s? <laughs> late 60s. I mean, people were still wearing handspun tweed. They were still wearing the pamputi shoes. Everything was locally made and everything was rowing ashore. We didn't have a safe harbour. We had to row out to get our cargo and to put cargo on board the ferry, which anchored off. And I can tell you that was some work in wintertime in a big sea. So in those days... I was also involved in a lot of community development, getting electricity supply to the islands and getting to this island and getting a water supply and a decent airport. The air service had just started, which was a real lifeline. And we set up this little industry. And in the early days, it was very basic uh, because we were involved in all these other projects, but then started devoting time to it because we came to a stage in the late 70s, early 80s when, you know, if you're dependent on tourist trade and bog standards, simple iron sweaters and competing with imported the likes, you just couldn't survive. Yeah. So I said, we've got to devote time to this. We've got to work on it. We've got to sell something other than just product. We've got to sell design, quality, style and uniqueness and authenticity and sell and put all those into the package and get them out there. And um, it took a lot of work. I mean, carrying suitcases around the world, knocking on doors and having them slammed in your face was not easy. But we had a few breakthroughs. We started knitting linen for spring, summer, as well as doing a winter collection. We started using linen. And not many people were working in linen. I remember an American designer saying he wouldn't ask the women in China to hand knit linen because it was, they cut their hands with it. It is tough stuff. But we had hand machines and we graduated different generations of new machinery over the years. We've gone totally automatic, state-of-the-art machinery now. But in those days, we were using hand machines. And um, I arrived in New York with a suitcase full of these linen samples. And I met Fred Pressman, son of Barney Pressman, who founded the famous Barney's New York store. Wow. And I met Louis of Boston, Murray Perlstein an iconic figure who had the most important store on the East Coast of the United States. These were guys who imported a European product into America and revolutionized menswear in America. I should say that we've concentrated a lot on menswear because I feel more comfortable designing and making menswear. And we had a great breakthrough with those guys. They'd never seen knitted linen before. Or they'd seen very, very little. They certainly hadn't seen it coming from Ireland. And I also met the, the Grad Brothers who had Paul Stewart, New York an iconic store on, on Madison Avenue. Anyway, they all bought, and that was great success, great encouragement. And um, 
from there on, we succeeded in getting a name for ourselves. We found that the best show to show at was Pitti Uomo in Florence in Italy, which is where it's like a crossroads for the best stores in the world. They all come to Pitti Uomo in January for the next winter and in June for the next spring, summer. And, you know, you meet all of the stores like the Barneys, Bergdorf's, the Bergdorf New York, which is a huge customer for ours as well, Isatan Tokyo, a myriad of small specialty stores from across the United States and across Europe. And they all come there. In those days, I mean, Irish people didn't have the expendable income that... Yeah, well, they, that's the thing. You know, we couldn't... We there couldn't, was no top end here, was, in a sense. It was, it was very, very small, yeah. the top end yeah. in Ireland. But so that's why we had to export. We had to find... When we were aiming top end, we had to go abroad. I mean, what, what I find amazing is you're in, we're in Inishman, we're talking about the fact that when you arrived here, there wasn't even a harbour, safe harbour. We're talking about heritage. I'm looking behind you, there's a big bus to sing. Came from our neck of the woods, Glenageary, then came out here, then went back to Glenageary. But I mean, you know, in a way you're talking the fulcrum of Irish linguistic culture without a shadow of a doubt around here. And folklore. And folklore, right. So how it, it demands a certain type of vision or brain or ambition. Everyone now is talking about remote work, you know, post-pandemic, etc. But you come here in the 70s with your degree in Celtic studies under your arm. And everybody probably said, you know, do the B&B for the summer and maybe open the, open the place to a few kids to foul them a bit of Gaelga. And you said, no, no, we can do something else here. So that's why I, I, I want to talk about that vision, that ambition, that sense that the world is out there and you don't necessarily have to be on Fifth Avenue to sell to Fifth Avenue or on Madison Avenue to do your things or you don't have to be from Florence or from Milan to trade Milan. I, I don't like to think that I had a, this fantastic vision. I like to think in terms of what we thought we could do and how we could get about getting about doing it. I go back to the local people and their vision and their independence, their understanding of who they were and where their place was in the world, which fascinated the Gaelic Leaguers when they came here, fascinated me as well. I mean, I, I, so I, I just think of this poem by Martin O'Jidan, L'er de Chrana Furchil, Gunya Malwer is Jira, Quigel Anna Dashlinger, Scarale is Egwich. So it's about his your dream. This is a translation, I'm not sure about, but I, I read it. Lean on your stout oars against the neap tide and the ebb tide. Keep a light, I would say, stoke the spark of your vision. To part with it is death. Wow. Vision. I don't know. That's what I don't know. I had a vision. I just had an idea. I, I prefer to talk about a, an idea. Yeah, but still. But that was Martino Geran's, his philosophy. And I think it epitomizes the philosophy of the people here. Remote working. And people didn't think about remote working in those days. But we've been pushed to do it, funnily enough, by COVID. So again, resourcefulness. COVID hit two years ago. And... No pity, one one Florence, all cancelled. How am I going to meet my customers? Where am I going to meet them? I have a couple of guys who help me out from a, a design agency in Dublin. They do a lot of the publicity stuff for us. And uh, I said, how are we going to do this? He said, get yourself a state-of-the-art phone with a camera on it, get a gimbal, get your stuff set up like it would be in Florence and call up your customers and send invitations to them all to do it remotely. And we did it. And you know, I'm good friends with Bruce Pask, who is the head of menswear in Burdorf Goodman. Burdorf Goodman, as everybody knows, the top yeah. of Fifth Avenue, a beautiful store. 
Bruce usually would give me about three minutes of his time at the show in Florence. And he came in on a remote meeting with me on, the, on my phone, looking at the collection, went through the whole thing. And I had about a half an hour of his time. And he said, would you ever give me a look outside? What does it look like out there? He was in his home in Connecticut and I was here in the Nishnan. <laughs> wow. Well, and the other, thing, the other thing is not just the ability to get close to your ultimate customers, because they are your customers, they're your buyers, and they, they then sell onto their punters. But again, this, this, no, this idea that in a sort of a generic world, that people are looking for experiences, stories, what they buy has to tell them something. To what extent have you kind of got into people's heads? You know, so you're not just buying a jumper, you're buying something else. Absolutely. As I said at the beginning, we're selling a story We're you know, Stories is, is very good, I always say to people, because people say, oh, you have a great story. But the story's not going to sell at all. The product's got to go first, and the product has to be right, and design has to be right. And when you go in front of the like of Bruce Pass, Bergdorf Goodman, every year, you've got to excite him with something new. So we've got to design a new collection every season. This is one of the most demanding businesses you could be in. And so- is that the key, like, for industries like this in remote areas where workers are hard to get, where it's expensive. I mean, you know, when I come here to the island, I realize that everything, you know, you've got to bring all your own diesel. You've got to bring all your own petrol. You've got to, you know, getting stuff onto the island is expensive. So consequent costs go up here. They don't go down, they go up. Absolutely. So you then have to think, okay, where do we position ourselves? Absolutely. There's a, I mean, along the road, and it's been a long road, there's always been the temptation to do the cheap and cheerful and they, we've very often been approached by what the French call the grossiste, who want to buy, you know, a ton of the stuff and beat you down in price. And I have so often walked away for, sorry, we're not in that end of the business, but there'd be a temptation when you give, somebody offers you, you know, massive money for a huge slice of your production. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's an easy yes. <laughs> but, you know, if in my book, that's a trap. It's a trap. Never fall into that trap. Believe in your product. Stick to your guns. Increase your prices. Never decrease your prices. Increase when I mean, you sell more. Somebody said to me last year, I said, Try increase your price, you sell twice as much. Now, I'm, not talking about, I'm talking about increasing the value yeah. and then increasing price. And you will sell a lot more. And keep it special and different and do your own thing. Have your own vision, and it's very important that it it is a vision of the island. And I have to talk a little bit about the tradition of knitting here, because everybody sees the Aran knit as a white, angelic white, complicated pattern sweater. That Fancy nobody, brother type stuff. Exactly, that nobody would ever go out doing his work in. That was made for little boys and girls for the first communion and confirmation, <laughs> and were on Sundays only. I mean, the locals were wearing, look at some of the photographs around here. They were wearing workwear. And there was a lot of knits that the women did patterns. I sat down with women over the years and talked to them about the, the stitches, the sweaters, the styles, and particularly the stitches that they used was much more restrained in design and much more appealing to me for presentation. And look at the jackets on the boys behind me here in this photograph. That was a local tailor's jacket. But it just explains how we get is that in terms of styling, in terms of stitch quality and so on, putting it into new fabrics, into new qualities, 
particularly nowadays into more cashmere and more baby alpacas, more silk and what have you. Uh, do you know what I'm going to ask you about it is workers. I mean, how do you get skilled workers? Are you training them up yourselves? How many are here? It's, it's not as easy as it used to be. We used to have young youngsters coming here to work for us over the years. They'd come straight from school. Two boys, nephews of the local tailor, they were fantastic lads. And they took to it like ducks to water way back. We sent them on training courses, one to Switzerland in the early days and one to Japan and the Japanese machinery. And uh, unfortunately, both of those guys emigrated. They came to me before they left. They said, I love the job, but I want to see the world. (laughs) Youngsters, this happens. Best people we have are people who've been away and come back and really commit to it. And we've had quite a few people who have married into the place work for us. We have something very interesting happening recently. We have an arrangement with the College of Art and the University of Ulster in Belfast. They're the only College of Art that specialise in knitwear. They have 15 or 20 students on their knitwear course in, in the university and they put them on internship for a year. And they all want to come here. A big slice of them want to come here and work for us because they get access to what you won't get in the knitwear industry, if you, for example, if you go to Italy, which is probably the biggest country with knitting in Europe. In Italy, the design is done probably in Milan. The knitting is done in some shed down in a small town in Tuscany or Umbria. And then down the road is another place where the finishing and the putting the garments together is. And then they're packed and pressed in another building. So it's it's all over the yeah. place. So Whereas here you have it all- here it's all under one roof. They attend design meetings. They come up with new ideas, which we love. And they learn the skills. It's all about doing and making. I tell them before they start, here it's about doing and making. It's not about ivory tower, design something, get somebody else to make it. You do it here. And they really enjoy doing it. It's... It gives me great encouragement to see youngsters in Ireland, in the Ireland that we're we're building at the moment, where there there's no talk of anything except having people sitting in front of computers doing, I don't know, stupid jobs, not using their hands. We don't have any varied variation in in, in industry in this country. Uh, I think it's a huge shame the way we've let. The linen industry, the woolen industry, and all the craft industries disappear and die. What we've seen, I mean, when we started this business 20 years, sorry, 40 years ago, there were two linen mills in in Northern Ireland. There were about four or five woolen mills for spinning, I'm talking about, in this side of the border. They were all gone 10 years ago. One of them has reopened in Donegal. But apart from that, there's nothing left. There's no linen whatsoever. We had such a name for linen in this country. It's a crying shame. But it's interesting you say that because all economic studies show that the more diverse the nature of industry in a country, the wealthier it is. So basically, the more stuff you're doing, right? Doing head work, doing hands work, doing writing work, whatever. But it's the idea is when a country starts to specialize, although ironically, you think that that's a clever thing to do. The evidence is you need an economy that does everything little bits of everything and does it well. I couldn't agree more. Can I ask just before we go, I'm looking out here at Inishman. You know, we've chatted over the years about this many times. And I I remember you were telling me, you know, when you were a young fellow, you were involved in in almost a, a, a civil rights movement for Irish language to be taught in secondary schools in the late 60s. And this is what kind of galvanized you. And when you 
look around in Ishman, when you look at the other islands, when you look at Connemara, when you look at the whole West Coast, you guys, in a way, set down a template of how you can live, work, and thrive in this neck of the woods. When you look at the future, what, what are your thoughts about this part of, of the world? I am not optimistic, to be honest with you. There's far too much emphasis on cheap and cheerful tourism. There's far too many people being pumped off boats into these islands, coming across from the Disneyland they've created over in Doolan and trying to create another Disneyland over here. I mean, why is there not some talk about the value tourism? We have something very special to offer here. It shouldn't be sold cheap and cheerful. It shouldn't be sold cheap. I mean, we have thousands of years of, as Liam O'Flaherty, the great writer from Inishmore said, my island has uh, great artworks right throughout the island. And we have monastic settlements and we have hundreds of people and thousands of people trodden over these places and they don't understand where they are. They don't know nothing about it. And they're coming out for bloody uh, stag parties and hen parties. It's crazy. The tourism industry really needs to think about what, what it's doing. And the people who are, are directing it in Tourism Ireland, they need to think about less quantity and more quality. But they're just pumping out Punters. Pumping out more bums on seats, more people means more. I don't know what, but it's all wrong. Tarek to block and we leave it there. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bombas socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
you know what struck me about Tarlock there and the his showrooms or his his uh, are showrooms, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Absolutely beautiful clothes. Like I'm not a, a fashion icon, as you well know. John, you are you are today's top model, right? <laughs> thanks, thanks, Mac. Thanks. <laughs> because obviously I have an eye for these things. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but his stuff is gorgeous and it's all top quality stuff. Yeah. You know, it's not the usual The pack them high, sell them cheap idea. Yeah, but it's and it's not the usual kind of version of the Aaron Jumper, you know, the diddly idly version that the Clancy brothers used to wear. Which actually he was saying that, you know, the white jumpers were the Sunday best yes, for the he kids. Was, that nobody would ever wear them to work. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you wouldn't use this stuff for goalposts now. You would not use <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, John and I are actually about to go to the pub. Indeed we are. So we are going to go up. As I said, there's only one bar in the town. It is a fulcrum of activity. It was described by Tarlock's son to me, Rory, who runs the Inishman Suites, this really, again, high-end place. Someone last night, you come for a pint. And he said, he said, I will, but he said, that place is like a lobster pot. I said, how do you mean? He says, you can crawl into it, but it's very hard to get out. <laughs> When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.